Father, we are so grateful for, for uh, just all the gifts that you've bestowed upon us, Lord. We, uh, this Thanksgiving, we have so much to be thankful for. Our, our, uh, just our, most of all, our salvation that we have through Jesus Christ, uh, our families, Lord, that you've placed us in and given us, Lord, our, our homes, our material possessions, this church, this church family, Lord, this nation. Uh, we are just so blessed by you. And, and Lord, uh, we don't even uh, have any idea of just what a glorious future that you've blessed us with. And, and we're going to glance at that a little bit today in this text as, as we look at what John tells us about uh, our, uh, just who we are in Jesus Christ and about who we will be forever. And so, Lord, I just ask that you, you bless each one of us, Lord, and, and may we continue to bless you with our uh, thanksgiving and prayers to you, Lord, because we are so grateful and we, we just thank you for all you've done in our lives and you're doing in our lives and all of that's possible through Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. I heard a true story several years ago about two little boys who had signed up for Little League. And uh, when they signed up, the administrator, they were brothers, and when they signed up, the administrator noticed something on their application that sort of bothered him. They, they had a birthday, they had birthdays that were six months apart. And so he asked them, he said, how, you know, how can this be? How can you, how can you have birthdays six months apart? And one of the boys said, well, one of us is adopted. He said, well, which one of you is adopted? And the little boy said, we don't know. And we ask our father all the time, but he tells us, I just can't remember. I don't remember. Why didn't the, why did, you think maybe the father did remember? He probably did, but he chose not to remember. Why did he choose not to remember? Because he loved those two boys equally. And he always wanted them to know that they were loved equally. Well, I want to give you a thought to chew on today that, that is absolutely amazing. You remember what Jesus said back in John chapter 15? He says, as the Father has loved me. Now catch this, think about this for a minute. As the Father has loved me, so I love you. Have you ever thought of, contemplated that? Do you know, understand how much the Father loves the Son? Jesus loves you as much as the Father loves the Son. Now, you do a little bit of interpolation, and you realize that if Jesus and the Father are one, then that means the Father loves you as much as he loves the Son. The Father loves you as much as he loves his own Son. And because he loves you as much as his own Son, He's got plans for you just like he has for his son. And if he's made his son to look amazing in glory, John's going to show us today that he's going to make you look amazing in glory too. Go with me. Let's begin in verse number 28 where we left off last time in 1 John. You, you, got, you got some really good news here today, so hang with me. Some really good news. Pick up in verse number 28. He says, and now little children abide in him. Who's the him? In Jesus Christ, in the Lord. So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his 
coming. So John says, I'm writing to you little children. And there's that word, that phrase again. It's really one great word. And it means born ones. Those who are born again. Those who are children of God. And what he's saying here, the father loves you as he loves the son. And, and so the son abides in the father. So you should abide in the father too. You should abide in the son. Now, how do we abide in the Lord? That's what we want to start off here today. How do we abide in the Lord? Well, the abridged answer to that is that we just stay in a close relationship with the Lord. Now, you can summarize it like that. Be in a close relationship with the Lord. So John says, abide in him. Abide in him. So when he comes, you won't, you'll have confidence and you won't be ashamed. But I want to look at that in a more specific light. And, and talk a little bit about what it means to abide in the Lord. Because we're going to get all these great promises here, and we want to be sure that we're abiding in the Lord. So what does it mean to, to abide in the Lord? Well, first of all, we, you remember when we studied the book of Hebrews, there was one thing that just stood out that we needed to do in order to abide in the Lord. And what was that? We're to rest in the Lord. We're to enter the rest of the Lord. We're to trust Him for everything. We're to trust Him for our salvation. We're to trust him for our sanctification. We're to trust him for our glorification. We're to trust him for our calling. We're to trust him for the, the things we need to serve him. We're to trust him for everything. We're to always rest in the Lord. Now, I want to flip back to John. And when I go back here, kind of hang, your, hang on to your place in, in 1 John. Because we're going to go back and forth a little bit between John and 1 John. And they're tied together because obviously... We have the same writer here. The Apostle John wrote the Gospel of John, and he wrote 1 John. So go with me back to the Gospel of John and go to verse number 15. Verse number 15. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Chapter 15, verse number 4. I'm jumping ahead in my mind here and looking at about three things, and that's when I, I crash. All right. John chapter 15, and look down at verse number 4. He says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Now, how does, the, a branch, how does a branch abide on the vine? What, is the, what does the branch do to abide on the vine? How much work does the branch have to do to abide on the vine? The branch is part of the vine. And when you become a born-again believer, you become part of the vine. Who keeps the branch on the vine? The juices of the vine, the roots and stuff, keep the branch there. So who's going to keep you on the vine? Christ is going to keep you on the vine. And so you abide in me, Jesus said, and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit in itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do Nothing. You can do absolutely nothing. Now, so a big part of abiding in Jesus Christ is resting in the fact that he's the vine and you're the branch. And there's really not that much you have to do but abide. Just abide, just hang there and just look pretty. Just hang there and, and bear fruit. That's your job. And if you're abiding in Christ, you're going to bear fruit. Now, what happens if a br branch breaks off? Does it still live? Does it bear any fruit? 
No, it dies, and it's thrown into the fire. So all, basically all you have to do if you're a child of God is to let the Lord keep you connected and stay connected to the Lord. And so really abiding starts out by simply resting in the Lord. You just rest in him. You rest in the fact that he's going to sanctify you. He's going to glorify you. He's the one who saved you. And if he can save you as rotten as you were, if he can save you as rotten as you and I were, then he can certainly sanctify us and he certainly glorifies us. So we rest in him for those things. Secondly, we abide in the Lord through prayer and thanksgiving. We abide in the Lord through prayer and thanksgiving. Paul kind of has a trinity of, of what it means to abide in the Lord, and he gives it to us over in, in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He says three things, right? He hits them one, two, three short verses, three of the shortest verses in the Bible. He says, rejoice always in the Lord. He says, rejoice always in the Lord. He says, pray without what? Without ceasing. Now, that sounds pretty tough, doesn't it? Rejoice always in the Lord, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. That's, that's Paul's picture of abiding. If you're abiding in the Lord, then you're rejoicing in the Lord, you're praying without ceasing, and you're always giving thanks. You're giving thanks in everything. Now, it's easy to give thanks when things are good, but in everything means you give thanks when things are bad, too. And you rejoice when things are good, and you rejoice when things are bad. Paul says in the book of Philippians, rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. That's a choice. You can, you can be bitter, and you can be angry, and you can be cynical, or you can choose to rejoice in the Lord and be thankful for everything that he has given you because the good he gives you and the bad he gives you all turns out for your good. Now, let's talk a minute about what it means to pray without ceasing. Does that mean that, man, i got to do these long-winded prayers? i got to go up on, uh, join a mo monastery somewhere and pray without ceasing and be on my knees forever and never quit praying? No, that's not what he means by that at all. What he's talking about is living in an attitude of prayer where you're always cognizant of the presence of God. You recognize the presence of Christ in you. You recognize wherever you go that he's with you. And every decision you, that you make, you want him to be involved in that decision. And everything that you do, you know that he sees what you do and you want to honor him in what you do. And so you're worshiping him in, in prayer. And in, included in that prayer without ceasing is thanksgiving. We're always thanking God for all the blessings that he's constantly laying, pouring out on us. And so we give thanks. We rejoice. We pray without ceasing, and we give thanks, and that's part of abiding. And then the third way that we abide is we abide in Christ. The third way that we abide in Christ is that we abide in his word, through his word. Through his word, we abide in Jesus Christ. What you're doing here today is abiding in Jesus Christ. When you get out the scriptures in the morning, you're abiding in Jesus Christ. Remember I said hang there in John there for a second. Go to John chapter 8 now. Go to John chapter 8 and look down at verse number 31. John chapter 8, the gospel of John chapter 8, verse 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, this is the word. These 66 books of the Bible are, are his word. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. 
If you live in my word, you're my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Essential to abiding in Jesus Christ is that we abide in his word. How do we abide in his word? We study his word. We read his word, and we're obedient to his word. That's what it means to abide in his word. The more you study this word and the more you're walking in the spirit, the more you understand this precept right here. Because you might not have even memorized a verse and God will pop that verse into your mind when you're walking in the spirit with him and some issue comes up and immediately that verse pops in your mind. If you're staying in the word, God is always speaking to you. This word is living. It's eternal, and it's supernatural, and it speaks to your soul. And so you can't be abiding in the Lord and not be abiding in his word. You have to abide in his word. And and, and if you don't abide in his word, then you're going to drift away from the Lord. So a big part of abiding in the Lord is abiding in his word. Now, the very... Fact. Oh, no, let me give you one more verse. I, I, I've left off a important verse. Go back to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, where we left off a while ago. Same context. Look at verse number 7. This is an absolutely amazing statement right here, if it's true. Jesse, you think it's true? You think it's true? All right. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Is that true, Jesse? Is that true? Do you really believe that's true? Well, then what's that? Then I'm going to abide in his word. I'm going to abide in him because I want my prayers answered. And, and, you, and if you flip back to John, listen to what John says. He says, in, in verse number 20, he says, And now little children abide in him, that when he appears you may have confidence. You know what is the biggest confidence builder in the world? Is when your prayers are answered. You want to know that you're walking with the Lord? Is You know it when your prayers are being answered. I mean, the answer might be no. You might not like the answer. But you're getting your prayers answered. And when you have when, you ha- when your prayers are being answered, you have confidence in the Lord. And you have confidence in, in yourself, in your own relationship with the Lord. And if Christ were to come tomorrow, you would not be ashamed at his coming. You would be confident in your position with Jesus Christ. Now, are, are you always confident? No, because we're not always abiding in the word. We're not always having our prayers answered because we're not always abiding in the Word. We're not always abiding in Christ. We're not always praying without ceasing. We're not always giving thanks. We're not always rejoicing. And so sometimes we drift from the Lord. The very fact here that John has to exhort us to abide in Jesus Christ tells us that that's a choice. That's something we choose to do. That's not something that's just going to happen. You've got to choose to to be in the Word. You've got to choose to pray without ceasing. You've got to choose to give thanksgiving. It's a choice we make. 
It's a choice we make every moment whether or not we're going to abide in the Lord. And if we're not abiding, if you're not abiding in the Lord, let me tell you what you're doing. You're drifting away from the Lord. It's one of, the, one of two. You're either drawing close to the Lord through abiding in the Lord or you're drifting away from the Lord. And if you're drifting away from the Lord, you're not going to have any confidence at his coming. You are going to be ashamed at his coming because more likely if you're drifting away from the Lord, what are you drifting into? You're drifting into sin. And so when you drift into sin and the Lord appears at your death or he appears to you at the rapture, then you're going to be ashamed. You're not going to be confident. So we want to be walking with the Lord. We want to be abiding with the Lord. And if we're abiding with the Lord, then we should be looking really good. Really good. Because we should be living righteously. Look at the next verse, verse number 29. He says, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness, watch this, everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Now, flip that around. If you don't practice righteousness, you are not born of him. Now, John's been giving us some sure signs of the new birth here. You want to know whether or not you're born again? Read 1 and 2 Peter. Read 1 John, and you can find out real quick whether or not you're born again. I mean, look at the signs he's given us already. Back in verse number 4, later on he's going to tell us if you don't love your brother, or you can add that one to the list. But what we've seen so far, back in verse number 4, he told us, he said that those who truly know Christ keep his commandments. Kind of fits with what we're looking at here in verse number 29. You practice righteousness. In verse number 15, he made it clear that those who are born again do not love this world. The part of this world that is against Christ. This world system. If you're born again, you do not love this world. That doesn't mean you don't love the creation. It doesn't mean you don't love a beautiful sunset or a, a, a beautiful rainbow. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that you don't love your home and your material things. Actually, you shouldn't love them. You use them for the glory of God. But, but the, the part he's talking about we shouldn't love is those things that are against Christ. Then in verses 20 and 21, look at verses 20 and 21. If you're born again, you have an anointing and you recognize truth and you recognize error. You know the difference between the two. And then in verse 29, he gives us another criteria of being born again. Those who are born again practice righteousness. They practice righteousness. Why do we practice righteousness? Because we have, remember we looked at it last week, we have the charisma. We have Christ in us, our hope of glory. Who is Christ? Christ is God Almighty. He is perfectly righteous. And if he lives in us, then obviously he's part of us. Then we want to be perfectly righteous too because we're new creatures in Jesus Christ. Paul puts it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So what's new about us? When Paul says we've become new creations, what's new about us? We practice righteousness. We love God. We don't practice unrighteousness. So do you meet those criteria? I mean, look at them again. Do you practice righteousness? 
Do you have Christ in you, the charisma? Do you have the anointing? Do you recognize truth and error? Do you hate this world system? If you do, I've got some really good news for you today. They'll wake some of you up, hopefully. You are born again. Well, so what? So what? (laughs) Bores me too. I'm joking. So what? Let me tell you what, so what? Look at verse number one of chapter three. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called, catch this now, children of God. You catch that? Therefore, the world does not know us because it does not know him. Hey, you want something to be really thankful for this Thanksgiving? You're a child of God. You don't even have a clue what that means. You are a child of God. And you should celebrate the fact you're a child of God. But don't expect the world to celebrate with you. They're not going to celebrate with you because, hey, if you're looking good as Christ is looking good, the world hates you because the world hates Jesus Christ. I mean, but we're children of God. Let them hate me. That's what I say. I mean, they want to hate me. That's fine. You want to call me a child of Say, you're a child of God. Oh, go ahead. Say that again. I love the thought of that. I mean, just chewing what he says right here. He says, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. How long has it been bestowed on us? Forever. For the rest of your life and forever, you have been made a child of God. You've been made a child of God. Go back to the Gospel of John and look in the first chapter of John, the Gospel of John. Look down at verse number 12. First chapter of John. Hold your place there in first John. But as many as received him, who's him? Jesus Christ. To them he gave the right. Change that to power. Because you can't do it without the power. He gave the power to become children of God to those who believe in his name, in the name of Jesus Christ, who were born not of blood. You didn't inherit that because you were a Jew. You didn't inherit that because you were part of the tribe of Judah. You you don't have the blood of David flowing through your veins, more than likely. I doubt if anybody here does. So you didn't get it because of inheritance, nor of the will of the flesh. You didn't decide to get it. You didn't do it by your good efforts or by becoming a good person. You didn't do it that way at all, nor by the will of man. How did you do it? By By your religion, by the will of man? No, but of God. It's God who changes us. It's God who gives us the new life. It's God who makes us children of God. You know, and your place with God is not just some positional transaction. You are born of God. You have been given the divine seed. That's what Peter says. We've been given the divine seed. Flip back over to John now, 1 John. 
and look down at verse number 9. We're going to jump ahead. We're not going to exegete that passage today, but let's just jump ahead to verse number 9. And look what he says there. Whoever, whoever has been born of God does not sin for his seed. The seed of God remains in that person. If you're a child of God, you have the divine seed in you. You have the seed of God in you. Now, what's that look like? I don't know. But seeds imply what? Seeds imply growth. Seeds imply that it's going to grow into something really wonderful. Because when God makes a seed, he makes it into a plant that becomes something wonderful. And he's going to make you something wonderful. And, and the seed that you've been given in a human seed or an animal seed or a plant seed, it is the seed of God. And so whoever has been born of God does not sin, for the seed remains in him. You've been given the divine nature. Now, look at this, that he cannot sin. The divine nature cannot sin. If you're born again, there's a part of you that cannot sin. Now, I wish you didn't have your flesh, because your flesh still can sin. But your new nature cannot sin. It's been given to you, and it's as absolutely perfect as it's ever going to get. That's why the Lord can say that you're perfected forever in Jesus Christ. You cannot sin because you've been born of God. And to be born of God means that you have, uh, you have, you, you have become a child of God. So you don't have the blood of God running through your veins, and I'm not saying that. You don't have the blood of God running through your veins, but you've been sprinkled with the blood and you've been given the Holy Spirit, which is the divine seed. And so you should be living like that spirit. You should be living in purity and in love because the spirit makes you a bona fide child of God. I want you to think about that for a minute. You parents, many of you in here are parents. Most of you. I mean, how do you feel about your children? Now, some of you, this, this illustration isn't going to work at all. <laughs> but for me, it works really good. I mean, I love my children with just about my whole being. I mean, I would do just about anything for my children. I would protect them. I'll provide for them. I want to bless them with wonderful things. And I'm sure as a parent, you want to do the same thing for your children. But God loves you as a, you're his child, and he loves you infinitely more or, or with an infinitely greater love than what you have for your children. And he wants to bless you and protect you and provide for you in ways you can't imagine. For eternity, he has an eternal plan for you. He sees you in eternity already, clothed in his righteousness and glory. He wants the very best for you. What manner of, behold, what manner of love, what manner of love does the Father have for you? The same love that he had for his son and has for his son. And I got to tell you, his son is looking pretty good in glory. And you're going to be looking pretty good in glory, too. Look at verse number 2. Verse number 2. He says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, 
for we shall see him as he is. Boy, that's some powerful stuff right there. Beloved, we are, now we are children of God. That's the good news I gave you a while ago. Let me give you some more good. It is not good news. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. How is he? He's glorified with all the glory of God. He's wrapped in a garment of light, the Shekinah glory of God, and when he's revealed, you will be like him. You know, thank you, Jay. Excites me a lot. I can't, because I really need some changes here. And God's going to make some changes. He's made changes. He's making changes. But he's going to make a, 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 an eternal change in me beyond my imagination when I'm glorified with him. You know, my wife isn't here, so I can, I, I hate using up uh, all my little secrets you know and my wife in here so I can use this secret today but but my wife every once in a while goes out she she is really tight with the with the money but every once in a while she'll go out and buy herself a dress I tell her go out go buy you whatever you want but she'll go out and buy herself a dress and she'll she'll go in try the dress on and she'll model the dress for me and she comes out and she says what do you think about what do you think well what am I going to say <laughs> that looks terrible that doesn't fit right no you know what I say I say, you're looking good. You're looking good. But then every once in a while, not every once in a while, very often, she'll go out and she'll buy a dress, and man, she models that dress. I'm not going to tell you what happens after that. <laughs> but she models that dress. And I'll tell you what I say before that happens. I'll tell you what I'll say. You're looking good, really good, really good. You know what? You're looking good right now. All of y'all are looking good. But when God wraps you in his glory, you're going to be looking good, really good, really good. Paul puts it like this in Colossians chapter 3. He says, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's what it means to abide in Christ. When Christ, who is our life, appears, that you also will appear with him. How will you appear with him in glory, in your glorified state, in your glorified body? And you talk about looking good. You're going to be looking really, really good. Now, let me make a side note here. If you're an unbeliever, you're going to see him too. But when you see him, you won't be changed. You'll get a new body. Your new body will be fit for darkness. And hell, I guess, you know, you look at roaches and rats, they're fit for that. So maybe that's something, maybe what your new body will look like. I don't know, but it'll be fit. Every once in a while in my yard, I dig up, dig up one of these ground moles. Have you ever seen one of these things in Louisiana? Louisiana has some monsters, man. I'm going to tell you, you dig up one of those, those are the ugliest things. They're, but they're made, they're, they have no eyes. They just got this little snout that sucks up bugs. And, 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 and they look like a little rat. But they're made, that's what they're made for. So you'll get a new body too. I would, wouldn't want to see it. But you're going to get a new body too. You don't want it. You don't want that. I mean, what does it require to become a child of God? 
to as many as believed on him, to them he gave the power to become children of God. So all we have to do is believe. And so if you're here today and you don't believe, you don't want to end up like some rat or roach. You want to end up glorified like Jesus Christ. And you want to live a life now that glorifies Jesus Christ. So look what happens. Verse number three. He says, and everyone who has this hope purifies himself just as he is pure. Who's pure? Jesus Christ who lives in you. The Father who lives in you. The Spirit who lives in you is pure. Absolutely pure. Absolutely loving. Absolutely righteous. And so we should be like that. Everyone who has this hope purifies himself just as he is pure. Look, we're never going to look as good in this life as we're going to look in glory. You can forget that. I mean, some of us don't look so good. And, and I, some of us are really longing for this glorified body. But it's coming. But even though we're not going to ever look as good as we're going to look in glory in this life, we should at least now want to be looking good. We should at least now want to be pure as he is pure because we have this hope. This hope of Christ in us, our hope of glory. And he's in us now. And by the Spirit, we can purify ourselves and we have the power to walk in purity and love. And so we want to do that. We want to look good now. We're not going to look really, really good, but we want to look at least good now because we have a witness in this world. We want to honor the Father. We don't want to be ashamed at his coming. We want to be confident in his coming. So, as he says here, just as he purifies himself, we are to be pure. Now, you've got to be careful with this, because John's not exhorting us here to keep ourselves pure through legalism. He's not saying that at all. Look, you don't keep yourself pure by keeping a set of rules, a set of do's and don'ts. That is legalism. You don't purify yourself through legalism. How do we purify ourselves? By abiding in Jesus Christ. See, when we abide in Jesus Christ, we're walking in the Spirit. And we walk, when we walk in the Spirit, we know what's right or wrong. We know what's pure and we know what's impure. And we know those things that we choose to be pure by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the more we abide in Christ, the more we walk in the Spirit. Forget all the rules. Forget the commandments. We're not under law. We, but we want to be pure because we have this pure nature, this new nature in us. And we have the power to be pure by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's as simple as that. But it begins with abiding in Jesus Christ. You've got to choose to abide in the Lord and not in the world. We have so much of the world coming at us all the time, causing us to drift away from the Lord. And that's a choice we got to make moment by moment. Do I want the victory that I can have in Jesus Christ? Do I want to really look good now? Then I've got to choose to abide in the Lord. And that's where the power to be pure comes from. You try to do it by living in the world and keeping a set of rules, you'll never do it. You'll be the ugliest thing around. You'll be, make everybody around you miserable. But when you learn to walk by the power of the Spirit and the love of Jesus Christ and, and, and in a 
pure life, in purity and in love, then you're going to be looking really good. Not really good yet, but you're going to be looking good. You're not going to be looking really, really good until you get glorified. We've got a great picture of what John's trying to teach us in the lives of Moses and Elijah, two of my favorite characters in the Bible. Both of them had what we call, theologians call, theophanies, where they saw a pre-incarnate vision of the glorified Lord. You look at Moses looking in the burning bush, and he saw the glorified Lord. Moses, uh, Elijah being fed, he saw the glorified Lord. And I think they saw the glorified Lord on several occasions that maybe we don't have even recorded in the Bible. Actually, Moses walked pretty close to the Lord. And what happened when they saw, had that theophany? When they saw the Lord, what happened to them? It changed their life. It totally changed their life. And from that point on, they wanted to be pure as he is pure. They wanted to live as close to him as they possibly could. And they walked with him and they talked with him. I mean, we're told in the Bible that Moses talked to the Lord as if a, as a man would talk to one of his friends. I mean, they were that close. He walked with the Lord and he talked with the Lord and Elijah did the same thing. And they looked pretty good. You study those guys, they look pretty good. But let me ask you a question. Were they perfect? No, they weren't perfect by any means. And so they were taken up into heaven. And when they saw Christ, when they came to heaven, guess what? In a twinkling of an eye, they were changed into the very glory that Christ had. They had that same glory in just the twinkling of an eye. They were changed. How do I know that? Because we see them in the New Testament on the Mount of Transfiguration. We see them on the Mount. We see Elijah and Moses and Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And remember what the text says. It says their, 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 their clothes were glowing. Well, that's the only way they could describe it. James, John, and Peter see these three images on this mount, and they're all glowing with the Shekinah glory of God. They were looking good. They were looking really good then. Because they had been transformed by the glory of God. And they looked so much like Christ. that Remember what Peter wanted to do? They all worshipped. Not just Peter. Peter, James, and John. They wanted to worship all three of them. And Peter said, let us build three tabernacles here. Three temples. We want to stay here and we want to worship all three of y'all. We just want to stay here forever and worship all three of y'all. And God had to rebuke Peter and say, Peter... You got your foot in your mouth again. Listen to Jesus. He's God. Yeah, Moses and Elijah are glorified like you're going to be glorified one day. They're looking really, really good. Like Jesus is looking really good. You can't tell the difference, but there's a difference. When we got saved, we had the same experience Moses and Elijah had. If you really got saved. You had a theophany. You had a vision of Jesus Christ. You might have had it in this word. You might have had it in your heart. You might have actually seen the glory of God with your eyes. But you've had a theophany. You've had an appearance of Christ. And when you saw him, you became somewhat like him because you were given that divine seed. And from that point on, if you're truly born again, then you want to practice righteousness. You want to be pure as he is pure. You want to be holy as he is holy. That's your desire. 
If you don't have that desire, friends, I'm telling you right now, you're not born again. If you're not practicing righteousness, you're not born again. I don't care what you call yourself. But you have that desire, and you want to be born again, and you're looking, you're looking pretty good. Those of you who are living for Christ, you're looking pretty good. But nowhere near what you're going to look like when you see the Lord in glory. When you see Jesus Christ, believe this with all my heart, the moment you die or the moment we're raptured out of here, you will be changed in a twinkling of an eye. Just as Moses and Elijah were changed when they passed from this earth into glory. And you won't just be looking good. You'll be looking really, really good. I've said it on several occasions, quoting C.S. Lewis. If the person sitting next to you today could see you in your glorified state, they would fall down in fear and awe. They would probably want to worship you, and you'd have to say, don't worship me, worship him. Because... As the Father loves the Son, He loves you. He's made you a child of God just like the Son is a child of God. Has He made us God? No, I'm not saying that. But He's made us like God. He's made us like God in love and purity. And when you see Him, you will be like Him. And you'll be looking really, really good. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for the good news that you give us here in this text today. And we have so much to be grateful for in this present life, Lord, what you're doing in our lives. And I just ask, Lord, that all of us have a, a, a burning desire that you give us that, Lord, to abide closer to you so that we walk more and more like Jesus Christ as he walked on this earth, that we're pure as he is pure. But even then, Lord, we can't imagine just how wonderful it's going to be when when we see him and we're changed to be like him and in all his glory. Father, we long for that day. We look forward to that day. And, and uh, we're excited about what you're doing in our lives now and what you're going to do for us throughout eternity. Lord, help us to be a blessing to you as you're a blessing to us. We ask that in Christ's name. Amen.